Welcome to Beyond the Breach, a podcast about how individuals and organizations manage change with a focus on technology's impact on humanity and the nature of cybersecurity risk. In this show, we explore lessons from public service and the past to inform the leadership and management challenges of our digital present. I'm Jonathan Reiber, head of cybersecurity strategy at Lumio, visiting scholar at UC Berkeley Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity and your host, and I'm joined today by my friend DJ Skelton. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. My name is DJ Skelton. I'm the founder of Paradox Sports. I recently retired from the United States Army, and I spend most of my time talking about leadership, um, post-traumatic growth and resilience, and spending much time in the outdoors, rock climbing and adventuring and and playing as I possibly can. Yep. And he's an excellent, excellent co-host. So, Today, we're going to explore a little bit more, as we talked about last time, about how humanity responds to disruptions. And I want to just start with an example. After the gun violence in the summer of 2016 in the United States, following the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile, and then five police officers in Dallas, President Barack Obama, in a eulogy, he said, in our life, all of us face disruptions. We face natural disasters loss, calamities of all kinds, and the only choice we have is how we respond. We have that choice as individuals, we have that choice as communities and as societies. The only choice you have in facing life's challenges is how you respond. And so today, for our third episode of Beyond the Breach, DJ and I are going to talk a little bit more about the individual, the individual leader, building a strong mind and building a strong mindset for managing change in organizations and society. We're going to structure the conversation around two ideas. The first is the idea of a strategic habit, which is how you set time to manage change for your organization, for yourself. And then we'll talk, as always, a little bit about the outdoors, and we'll flag the benefit of rewiring your brain towards nature, which has been called the three-day effect by a psychologist named David Strayer and popularized by the writer Florence Williams. So let's start, DJ, with the idea of a strategic habit. This is something we talked a little bit about last time, um, when we were talking about hubs and spokes and your investments that you make and your relationships. But the, the idea of a strategic habit, which is a phrase that I've come up with maybe, I haven't really Googled it well enough to know that I'm the first one to have said it. But anyway, um, it's the idea of setting the time to do the hard work of looking out and investing to think about the future. So you think about your teams and what you want to achieve, the potential risks you may face over time. You think about your goals, think about the technologies and objectives you need to strive towards and how you can build it. And uh, in the last episode with Jason Healy, we talked a little bit about how at Goldman Sachs, his team would meet quarterly to do a risk assessment where they would look at look across risk for the organization. So that was one example of a strategic habit. And I thought DJ and I would revisit that. So um, DJ, what in your experience in the Army and leadership and in the nonprofit world and with Paradox Sports and otherwise, what's an example of a successful strategic habit that you've seen implemented and how? So in your intro, uh, I was actually thinking about this quote by William James, which is the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives simply by altering their attitudes of mind, right? And so when we talk about 
change, it, it, we like to, to gravitate towards physical. And I guess I'd like to offer that the most powerful to actually get ourselves and our teams and our the people in our lives to shift uh, mainly is more mental, uh, a, a mental thought of of where you want to see yourself in the future, yeah. where you want to see your performance, uh, your output to be in, in a future context, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is, it's this hybrid, right? And, and so this is the theme that you're probably always going to hear from me, uh, especially in, in, in these chats, is as a leader, not only do you need to look at that collectively from your organization, but you also need to look at the members of your team and the things that are changing individually in their lives as well. Mm -hmm. And so where I am today yeah. and what my goals are today may not be the same six months into the future, no different than the variables and the externalities that change that impact your team's ability to perform. Mm -hmm. Those variables may well indeed be different six months from now than how often today. how often do you think how often do you think you have to check in with your team if you're running a team in a, in a bureaucracy or in an organization how often do you think you have to check in with the individuals to see where they're at i think with small teams i think it's quarterly yeah right i mean we essentially operate uh, as organizations and businesses right on, on annual plans right and so every quarter just do an asthma check what is not very common is we don't necessarily do that in our individual lives Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's one thing now to say, hey, you know, this is what my productivity is today. But a year from now, six months to a year from now, uh, I may be having a kid. Right. I may have fallen on some financial hardships. I might have, you know, had a death in the family, something else that's distracted me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how do you put that in a, in a broader context uh, when it comes to the team dynamics with that. And so simple things like that, you can say, hey, what are, what, what's working for you right now? What's changed? Mm -hmm. And and what can we do to help alleviate uh, some roadblocks that may have come up since the last quarter or the last time that we checked in? Yeah. Or, hey, if you're doing great, uh, what can we do to keep throwing those resources uh, and support structures to you so you can keep yeah. doing that? That's good. You know, then there's also like, I remember in the Pentagon, um, when I was in the Undersecretary for Policy's office, uh, Jim Miller and I would have with the team, with the whole team, we would have daily calendar meetings. And it would first it was sort of like what's tomorrow, and then it would look at the next two weeks, right? So that was a daily meeting, and then we'd go through like all the agenda items that had come up. We called it wrap up. And then working for Ash Carter when he was the Deputy Secretary, he had he his calendar meetings were less frequent for the whole team, but he would he would look out across a couple of months. Uh, or a few weeks, and he always had a sort of trifold in his pocket of his calendar for the next two weeks. So he was constantly looking at the calendar, thinking about how he was managing his time from a tactical standpoint in a sort of two-week period. But Michelle Flournoy, who you know, also DJ, um, former president of the Center for New American Security, former U.S. Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, she always used to say the future gets a seat at the table. And the way that she would run OSD policy, she and Jim Miller's, the two things that really stood out, one is it was always make time for strategy. So think about, even if you're running a regional office where you're dealing with very sort of tactical engagements, you always have to think about strategy. So you you make time each week to think about it. Um, she, of course, was a, is a strategist. So that was sort of a natural part of her, her mindset. Um, but the other thing that she would do uh, is investing in personnel. 
So there was this big investment in human capital in OSD at the time that said, look, let's set aside a million dollars. I think that's what the number was for personnel investments each year. So folks could go out and like, and, and do, you know, courses or whatever. And I thought that was like, when I was first exposed to this kind of thinking, I thought of, I sort of thought about it as de rigueur. I was like, this is just how people do business. Of course, this is normal. But as time's passed and I've had distance and worked in a different organization since then, I realized, you know, in fact, this isn't always the way that organizations work. And so it's really important for leaders to set that time apart and put functions in, whether it's checking in with their team, as you were saying, um, or doing sort of regular risk assessments. Yeah, that, that's going to change too from organization to organization, right? <clears throat> in the military, uh, especially in tactical organization, you know, tactical units in the in, in the military, and I can speak, you know, pretty intimately about the army that I served in. You know, we would we would have you know uh, this coined after action review, this AAR session, and after every every training objective. Right, whether it was going out for a two-hour field exercise or a two-week field exercise, which that we would have, you know, predefined goals and expectations, and these are the tasks that are going to be performed to this standard. After each of those tasks had collectively been executed, those small teams would tactically pause yeah. and say, "Okay, what were three things that we just did that produced the outcome that we?" hoped for and how do we continue doing that and where were three things that we fell short yeah and how can we do that yeah right i think craig mulaney uh had a had a pretty interesting so he uh really accomplished uh tactical officer and then wrote a book about it got out and his last uh, job was with facebook as a civilian and wrote a really interesting article in forbes magazine that talked about <clears throat> applying the after action review that that is pretty uh, standard in, in every military unit to small teams in the tech industry or in businesses mm. and stuff like that. So it yeah. draws from a pretty good roadmap to the parallels of that. Yeah, it's weird. Like after leaving a highly structured environment, in my case of the Pentagon and yours of the Army, like I actually miss those kinds of things. And I just sort of, I still sort of assume that people are going to constantly do it. Like after a big muscle movement, like if you run an event or something like that, you say, okay, let's do an after action report. Let's meet as a team, figure out what worked and what didn't. And like, no, in fact, not everybody does that. Um, do you now? What about what about for um, for sort of red teaming for thinking about the future and like reimagining reimagining uh, your objectives and re reassessing the strategic landscape? Obviously, in the Pentagon, we had that forced on us through the quadrennial defense review, where you have to do a strategy. But I think like. I'm sort of obsessed with this idea that organizations need to do this all the time, particularly organizations in a period of growth. And Lumio obviously is in that stage, but I was just curious for your thoughts about that. Yeah, this is interesting. On the drive up, I called you and we were talking a little bit about futurists, right? And, and talking about that. <clears throat> so it's kind of interesting. You're talking about red teaming now. And, um, you know, uh, my wife's in the executive MBA program at Berkeley right now, and they're doing this huge section on red teaming. And kind of a revelation to the class that it, it kind of started in the military, right? And so here's another thing that is very common and which is just mainstream in most military planning session is in every mission that's planned, there's always a catastrophic event that is visualized and, and what and how would we react to that? There's always a you know most probable uh, course of you know course of action here. 
most dangerous course mm-hmm. of action. Yeah. And then what's the catastrophic? And then reverse that to say, okay, the enemy is also a organization that is going to act in probably one of three ways. Enemy gets a vote. And they get a vote as well, right? Enemy always gets a vote, mm-hmm. right? Um, Sometimes they steal our votes. Sorry. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting is is in organiz- small, nonprofit organizations that I've been involved in and uh, being able to have a right seat ride and, and many friends that are doing startups uh, very successfully, it's pretty absent. Hmm. Uh, in in the the planning session and and understanding what the broader market is, understanding who your competitors are, and trying to figure out how to get yourself best positioned for hmm. whatever desired outcome that you want. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's excellent. So you know, DJ and I, one of the things we want to talk about a lot on this on on this podcast, we talked about at length last time in Ascension is the idea um, of the outdoors. So lessons from the outdoors, lessons from nature. And we're both big proponents and believers in the sort of transformative power of being outside and if you if you go out on like a trek. Um, and there's this idea that Florence Williams, who's a writer, she's written a book um, and writes quite frequently for national magazines. Uh, she writes, she's been writing a lot about how nature can heal and your mind and awe. Um, and this is this idea of the three-day effect, which is popularized by a psychologist, I think at the University of Michigan, I might be wrong, named David Strayer. And this is the idea that, um, you know, all of us, we have our phones with us all the time. And prior to that, we had the radio or like, you have, you have your the ways that you're wired for your day, right? You'd go about your business. A lot of us, thank God, the screen time thing is on your phone. You can now see you spend hours on online. But with the three-day effect, it's like you go out into the into the, into nature. And last time I did this was on the Green River in Utah, and you unplug um, for a period of I, in that case it was five days, and the brain rewires itself and enters a different mental state on the third day of being offline. And once you get into that space, it allows you to sort of have a transformative calming, rewiring experience. And so Florence Williams wrote about this a couple of years ago, and now she actually has a podcast about it, which I only realized last night as I was doing the research, which is interesting. So we'll have to give that a listen. Um, so one thing we're going to talk about is sort of recent experiences like this. So I, DJ, I, I wonder in the last few months, what experiences in the outdoors have you had where you felt like you were, um, you felt your brain rewire a little bit and where'd you go and what was it like? Yeah, well, just just uh, two weekends ago, two weekends, two weekends ago, <clears throat> I had an opportunity. I just broke away for three days, and I went up to Seattle with a friend, jumped in a rental car, and drove up to Whistler, Blackham, and went skiing up there. And for anyone that hasn't been up there, you, you, you leave Vancouver, which is this metropolis, right? with everything that you want and you start leaving and very quickly you run out of cell phone reception, you get into the mountains, awesome. into the woods, Thing of and then you get back into the, the village itself and so you're, you're back in a connectivity. But the minute you leave and you go up, just like skiing or, or climbing or any of these uh, activities, uh, doesn't lend itself very well safety-wise to be holding a phone <laughs> while you're doing it, right? And, and mm-hmm. you have to, be very visual and, and understand your environment. And it, it was 
very cathartic in, in some way to be able to just break away. And even if you wanted to, there's this natural tendency to like, man, I needed to check in. I was expecting an email. Maybe I should have done, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I should check the news, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be a well-informed citizen. I want to be a well-informed person within my field. And so I just want to keep up with that, right? And that feeling doesn't go away. I mean, I was only gone for two days, essentially, yeah. right before I was back in connectivity 24-7. Um, but what I remember is we went up to the top of Blackcomb, two different glaciers and the minute so, so at the base of it there's it's like 60 degrees it's sunny you can't even see snow at the bottom of the gondola you get up in the middle and you're in like 35 40 feet of deep powder snow deep snow with you know layer of a foot of powder and almost blizzard like wow. conditions awesome. and there was a moment where we we're at the top of this run and the visibility was so limited that it was to the point where we're like, okay, this is this is not safe. This is pretty dangerous. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> your mind, in whatever direction it had been in, and and, and some of it, yeah, we we can think about multiple things at the same time. Sometimes, right? We're especially those of us that have ADD, right? We're all over the place. Yep. All of a sudden, our micro focused on what is five feet in front of us, and so for the next hour, just clearing all the mental distractions and the noise that's in your brain and focusing on this thing that's five feet in front Mm. of you, even though the situation should have been and was to some degree stressful and Mm. and full of anxiety, had this effect of being extremely peaceful and tranquil and calming at the end of the day. You can do that with yoga, right? You can do that with meditation. You can do that with a lot of the mindfulness yeah, I was the buzzword, buzzword, and and uh, especially out here in Silicon Valley, and right. Um, but nature has this very fascinating, yeah, effect. I've been listening to Gil Fonstall's mindfulness training on audio dharma. Our friend Chris Fine turned me on to it like two days ago, and I love it. Right, it's really good. And listening to it in the car or listening to it while you're walking, but the the. I don't know. Okay, so I've only just started, right? So, like, maybe if I do mindfulness meditation, I think the effect will probably be different over time. But, um, and I'm looking forward to doing it. I do have ADD, so I'm going to have to follow my strategic habit advice and put it on the calendar. But the benefit of being in nature is it forces you to do it. it forces you. Like, you have now you've constrained your conditions. Like, you don't have cell connectivity. You have to make it down the mountain, whatever it is. And like, it actually. Pretty quickly, in my case, you begin to feel the initial effects of rewiring your brain. Like when you get on the highway and you go up to Tahoe and you leave the city behind or like you get out and you just shift your frame a little bit. You shift yourself out of your geography. You can begin to feel a little bit of the differences. So we talked a couple of days ago about organizations that promote not just time off, but health, right? So it's like, you know, Illumio is good, but we have we have take the time you need, which means like you can schedule time, you can take as much time as you want, as long as your manager is okay with you taking that time off. Um, there are plenty of cultures though where in, where people just don't take time. I mean, I remember in the Pentagon, um, some of the folks I worked with, who I won't call out, like just didn't take vacation at all in like seven years, and it leads to like significant burnout. What's your What's your sense for like? What are some of the lessons you've seen? What have you seen in this in this capacity? Um, you know, I think one one of the biggest uh, feedbacks that I got when I was serving in the military is, you know, the 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 military has this this 
resource that's called the family readiness groups. And so for for every unit in the army, they uh, should have uh, an associated family readiness group. And so it's a volunteer basis, uh, informal network of spouses, significant others, uh, partners that are part of the family unit that helps support the soldier, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so for sometimes the soldiers like, why are we, why are we taking, why are we taking time away from training and shooting and, you know, prepping for war yeah. to do barbecues and, and, to, and to do these, you know, uh, working on these soft, soft skills. Right. And uh, it, it, pr pretty simple, right? If you're going home, it doesn't matter how great of employee or soldier you are during the day. If you're going home and you're fighting a whole nother war all through the night and you're not getting good sleep, you're not eating well, and you're not a good father, and you're not a good husband, you're not a good boyfriend or, or, or partner, mm -hmm. right? And then you're showing up to work. Over time, you're being eroded. Yeah, exactly. Physically, emotionally, nutritionally. Yep. Right? And so it doesn't take very long for you to start eroding as a performer during the day. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And vice versa. I don't really care how great of a person you are at home if every day you come in and you're a, a bad employee, right? Right. Uh, bad in the sense of, you know, you're not a team player, you're not positive, mm -hmm. you're always invoking a negative attitude, mm -hmm. you're mean to people. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to bleed over to how you perform in other aspects of your life. Yep. Right. Um, it's interesting, like folks, folks, when they start out in their careers, unless they're told what you just said, right? Like, unless they're sort of given that guidance and, and, the, and the, the benefit of the military is it has that structure, they'll just sort of assume it's like, oh, I can move forward by achieving my objectives. I can move forward going after whatever it is I'm trying to build. I'm just going to do it. I think we talked about this last time too, right? It's like, you don't necessarily account for the whole person. And the whole person is how you see the world. It's your mindset. It's your vision of, of who you are engaging at home, at work, or most also equally importantly with yourself. Like how, the lessons you tell, you, the stories you tell yourself. Um, and there is a wiring of the brain that has to happen in that way. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, this is pretty prevalent through a lot of, a lot of organizations, right? Where we only care about our, own, our organization or our team. Mm -hmm. And so when we find out someone that wants to leave, you know, you're a cadet at the United States Military Academy arguably one of the most prestigious institutes in the world and one of the hardest institutes to get into for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And you get accepted and you show up. And after a couple of years, you say, mm, this isn't a good fit for me. I'm bouncing. The dialogue isn't awesome. Thanks for coming in. Let's help you transition to something that you define as happiness for you. Yeah. We say, oh, you're a failure. You're is that, a quitter. Is that how West Point you're responded? Eh, not West Point as an institution, but just yeah. the attitude of what peers might say, right, or just that perception. It's no different than in the military. If you're going to leave, you know, a special forces unit or an infantry unit and stuff like that, right, we're cognizant of that as leaders. And over yeah. the last 10 years that I've served uh, in those capacities, like I've seen a slow shift in mindset in 
it's okay that you're only with us for a short amount of time. Yeah. When you're with us, we will do everything that we can to maximize and extract what you have to offer mm -hmm. us as mm -hmm. an organization, as a team, mm -hmm. as a nation, in mm -hmm. this case, for the military. Mm -hmm. But we also need you as a country to transition and land on your feet and continue to serve and continue to do great things with this new experience and new set of skill sets that yeah. you acquired while working for us and you can define us for whoever you want. That's we a have a long we yeah. have a long way to go with that, right? Yeah, that's good. I think it, there's interesting there's there's an interesting point there which we talked about also in the past which is like you have to know your strengths and you have to play to your strengths. And people used to say like do what you're passionate about, right? There's the and there, and look, I mean we're all passionate about certain things. I started out wanting to be an artist and then like I was actually really good at it, uh, and then I was sort of passionate about theater. But I, I didn't, I didn't. Did love anyone the work. else think you were good at it, or just was that? Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. DJ has yet to see my paintings, <laughs> which were stunning. <laughs> they were amazing. I was really good. I used to. I mean, I made money at it when I was a teenager, right? Like, I got into art school. I got into like an elite art school. But uh, so yeah, DJ, I was like, but <laughs> just take my word for it. We'll show you some pictures. Yeah, Reading Rainbow. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Bob, what's his name? Bob, whatever. No, Bob Ross. That's a Bob Ross. Right. Um, but look, they say like it's not. Don't just do what you're passionate about. Do what you're strong at. Do what you're good at. Like, and Jim Miller once told me he said, um, you know, when I was a special assistant, I was a, I was a, I started out as a disaster special assistant. I couldn't manage calendars. There were like four people sitting nearby. There was a Tanberg, which is like a video machine going off all the time. There were three email accounts to track of his, and there were three email accounts of mine to track. And then there was like Caleb Redden sitting next to me, like talking, talking, talking. He's, by the way, like one of my favorite people in the world, but in his like Southern drawl, extremely distracting. And so for the first like four months, and I have like ADD, right? I'm used to like sitting in a room just like writing. My head almost exploded. <laughs> and Jim said to me once, he's like, Listen, you've at the end, after, I don't know, a year or something, when I was about to go do something else, he said, you know, you've gotten really good at this. Like, you're a good special assistant. Or maybe he didn't say really good. Maybe he said, you're a good special assistant. But he said, you have to, you have to question how you want to wire your brain, right? He's like, you are very strong at writing and, like, being strategic and stuff like that. And now you've built these skills as a special assistant. And you've, but do you want to strengthen your backhand, which is weak, at the expense of your serve, which was exceptional when you came in. He says, if you work all the time on your backhand, then you're going to leave out your serve. So it's interesting, right? Like to hear about someone who goes to West Point or does one thing and succeeds at one thing or doesn't succeed and, and fails. It's like if you fail, that doesn't necessarily mean that you as a person are a crappy person or that you're like not effective. You know, it's easy to internalize a narrative of inadequacy, whereas it could simply be you were playing to your weaknesses for X number of years. Like you need to go and find out what, what your strengths are. In human life, we have to give each other a bit of a break as we discover that process, I think. Yeah, failure doesn't necessarily have to be, and I would argue most times, is not a negative thing. Hmm. Right, we, I think we associate it with negativity. Yeah, right? I, most people wouldn't agree but with what you just said, right? Probably. Or and they wouldn't know it, they wouldn't recognize it. They, right, and, and, and then I would argue, can you recognize it by yourself? No. Or do you need to have someone else? And are you able and willing and open to absorb someone else's feedback to you and helping you understand what you're not good at? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I'm just, I was remembering uh, when I first started attending the Naval Post Grad School uh, for the master's degree program, uh, one of the first essays I had to write for a professor uh, 
the next day she handed out the grades and there's a little note on my papers like see me after school uh which is interesting for grad school but uh <laughs> since i got that note by <laughs> since i was in kindergarten and so i showed up and she was like here here's the deal like this isn't really a normal college we're going to be colleagues when you get out of here and i really don't want to work with someone that can't write so yeah, you need you need to get better at this you're not huh. good at this huh here's all the resources and here's all the stuff that I'm going to do to help you get better, which is also a key component that I sometimes don't see when providing feedback. Mm -hmm. People get feedback all the time, but then they don't take the extra step to provide the resources and the plan to correct the action and get better. Mm -hmm. um, and I never would have, you know, I, I pretty much, I, I'm pretty sure I, you know, I was a horrible writer, but in other aspects in life, like it's natural for us to think that we're good like we're a good painter. Yep. Oh, <laughs> right? I mean, you see how we did that? I was just listening intensely and then I realized, in fact, he's back to mugging me. Yeah, go for so, it. So, I think we're going to have to put one of my paintings up on as the art for one of the podcasts. Stay tuned for which picture will come up. I once did a portrait of an ex girlfriend. Well, she wasn't an ex girlfriend at the time, she was a girlfriend, and I did a portrait. And for many years, it was my favorite. Maybe I'll take a picture of that. Um, of that picture this is like 20 years ago i had an art studio in boston um well do you have any final thoughts dear <laughs> dear, dear dj now that we've gone here um you know for anyone that wants to donate you know buy the paintings we'll, do, <laughs> we'll, we'll pick a couple charities that will <laughs> like not other final thoughts <laughs> the, in so, my hometown there was a we had a museum of bad art by the way it's world famous <laughs> google it museum of bad art dead in massachusetts and then go and visit it's in the Dedham Community Theater. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, cha when we talk about change, and when we talk about change, you know, what, really what the, the overarching here is, you know, there's this interesting shift between being on the, on the defensive in life, right? Letting other people define what success is or what mm -hmm. failure is, mm -hmm. and then shifting and being, taking ownership of that. Mm. And 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 in controlling what your outcomes in life are going to be, or or at least setting the conditions and, and you setting the conditions of where you want to be six months from year, a year from now, ten years from now, mm -hmm. as opposed to allowing someone else to do that for you, whether it's society, whether it's the news media, social media, mm -hmm. the enemy, depending mm. on your context, right? Gosh. And so when we talk about change, yeah, right. You know, and th this is, I think, what kind of gravitated Jonathan and I together to 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 come up with this this dialogue for you all is you can't. I, I, for so long, we've separated out leadership as leadership in the collective, and and what we want to offer is you, in order to lead change and do that that's in a positive, successful way, and that you can achieve the outcomes that you want to desire, it has to also incorporate and start with how you lead yourself mm -hmm. and how your individual members of your team are leading themselves. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, we're, it's, not a, it's not a separate entity. Like teams and communities and societies are nothing more than a bunch of individuals that coexist. Mm -hmm. Right? And so simultaneously as we are setting the conditions to pivot we have to, that's happening at the same time at the individual yeah 
as the collective. Yeah, that's and great. So there's a lot of uh, great parallels, and there's a lot of synergy between resilience as an individual, resilience of, of a system, resilience of a of, a, of an organization. And Jonathan, you and I talk a lot about resilience as a nation. How do how do you make a, a nation more resilient? Yep. Um, and in the same, you know, there's got to be this interesting balance, right? My mm -hmm. entire life was not that I was going to serve in the military. That wasn't it. That was, not, that was not my only goal in life. My other goals in life was I want to be a good son to my parents. I want to be a good brother to my sister. I want to be a good husband because I said I wanted to get married. That was a goal. It doesn't have to be your goal. I wanted to have kids. I want to be a good father. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, I want to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, he's doing really well at all those things. The one thing I, he's, he's a really crappy friend. <laughs> Fine, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the I'll buy the paint, painting. Okay, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Uh, right, and so now, as as someone that is in in charge of leading somebody else, yeah. what is my responsibility to ensure that they are fulfilling their goals in all of those areas? Mm -hmm as well as showing up to work yeah, exactly. <laughs> and being productive and I, you know, and can contribute in the way that I need them to as a team. Yeah. That's awesome. So. And I think like, you know, you don't just wake up and do those things. It's not like, like you set a goal, being a good son, being a good husband, being, you know, being a better friend, buying paintings. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't, well, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a joke, but like, Actually, like, you don't just like, I want to be a better husband. I'm just going to be a better husband. I'm just going to, that's just going to happen. Actually, no, you need to figure out what that means. You need to do some learning. You it need needs an action plan. Yeah. Right. It needs yeah. benchmarks. Yeah. And just like every quarter, you get yeah, to check exactly. in. You gotta, every quarter, yeah. you got to check in. Yeah. Like, if you knew that I actually did want you to buy my paintings, <laughs> assuming that they weren't exorbitantly priced, you know, or like maybe you could help me with my art in some way or something. That's like, you have to, you have to think about what it means. And so today we've talked about, so this is sort of a, mixture of the, the last episode on cognition, but really this is about transition. This is about like mental transitions, making transitions, making change happen um, for yourself and your organization as a whole. So we talked about the idea of strategic habit, which like you make a habit of strategy is one, and then you're strategic about the habits, the habits that you made. And then we talked about this idea of the three-day effect. And they're related because, you know, you have to make time to get outside and you should take more than one week's vacation because it takes three days to sort of rewire your brain when you get outside. But like there's an element of sort of self-care and, and cognitive awareness that happens in the outdoors only after a certain amount of time. So you have to be intentional about your time. You have to schedule time um, to get outside regularly. And, uh, and you have to schedule time to check in with yourself and to build your teams. So in one of our next episodes, we'll talk about narration because storytelling for the individual and for the collective matters quite a bit it's like how gil fonstall talks about in his mindfulness and his mindfulness um, talks like storytelling is one of the hindrances of the mind in other words in the buddhist theory it's like you have a certain story in your head that you're constantly telling yourself that could be quite negative but on the other hand teachings as a whole to help manage change they also involve stories so there can be a positive story and a negative story so we'll talk about that a little bit next time um, and to be true to ourselves please let us know uh, what you enjoyed about yeah. our talk today and yeah. things that you didn't and uh, ways that we can improve. Uh, because if you aren't really happy with us, I really don't want to just sit here and listen to Jonathan all day. So, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, please give us some feedback. 
he does that regularly anyway. So yeah, find us, uh, find us online. Um, and thank you to Brian Thayer, our senior multimedia producer, and Courtney Blaskow, our head of creative services, and Brandon Williams, our intern and resident historian. And thank you, of course, to DJ. It's good having you on. Always. Thanks. Thanks.